Knowing about someone is not the same thing as knowing them in relationship. Ask anyone on the dating scene right now, there's a difference between knowing about someone and actually meeting them. It can be a totally different experience, can't it? Reading their profile, hearing about them from a friend that set you up, knowing about them from a distance or by reputation. And then you have your first conversation or first meetup or date. And it's likely different for them and for you. It's kind of a risk actually for both parties to step out of the filtered images or well thought out descriptions of yourself or persona that you put forth to move from knowledge about to relationship with. When my husband Andrew and I first started dating, it was after years of having known each other, more like we knew about each other. And to be honest, based on what I thought I knew, I actually wasn't all that interested in anything more than just knowing about him. He seemed like a good guy, but when it came to dating, I had a different idea in my head of the kind of guy that I wanted to marry. For one, it wasn't a guy that was dressed up in a banana suit, hyping up a crowd at a college basketball game. Side note, it turns out that's exactly the kind of energy that I need in my life. It's his spirit and joy that have been such a gift to me over these years. Now, there's likely something to be said for right place, right time. Who knows if we had started dating earlier than we did if we would have ended up together. But the truth is, something changed when I moved from knowing about Andrew to knowing him, to being in relationship with him. When we began to spend time together, when we shared about different aspects of our past, things we were struggling with day to day, when we began to share life with each other. Andrew actually had the opportunity to go to Kenya for six months around the time that we were starting to get to know each other. And there was something about that shared experience, though we were miles away, that helped shed layers of pretense that had both become so accustomed to carrying in our lives. It helped us to form relationship. And relationship changes things. It changes the way that you see the other person. It changes how you look at them. It changes how you feel about them. It changes what's possible inside of you. Relationship opened me up to the possibility of love. And I'm not just talking about romantic love. I mean the ability to allow myself to be known and seen and received and accepted. Love, ordinary, extraordinary love. Knowing about someone is not the same as knowing them in relationship. Relationship changes things. We've been looking over the last couple months at Jesus' final words and actions in the week leading up to his death. His words, his actions, who he was, it brought about a kind of change that no one was expecting and in a way that no one was expecting it. And the people of Jesus' time had such a hard time understanding and receiving what he was doing that they killed him. And then the ultimate unexpected happened. On Easter morning, Jesus mysteriously rose from the dead and embodied everything that he had been teaching about. Life can come from death. A new day is coming, an eighth day, so to speak the possibility of something that wasn't previously there and doesn't make sense without some kind of supernatural intervention. An eighth day 
is a symbolic way of saying there's more than meets the eye. There's more life to come, both in the future, but also now. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. That's what we celebrate on Easter morning. New life bursting out of a tomb, like a hidden door that appears at the bottom of a dark pit that leads into a whole other room, home, world filled with light and beauty. There's new creation that exists. But look back to the verse. The new creation isn't a place to escape to. And this, I think, is the most unexpected change of all that Jesus brings. The new creation is you. The intermingling of Christ and you is the new creation that is promised and that's realized on Easter. The new creation is us. It's the result of our relationship with God that is now possible. Okay, so here's the big idea and here's what I wanna unpack with you. It's that change comes through a relationship with God that's marked by love. And it's more ordinary than we assume and more extraordinary than we allow. Now to understand what life with God is and how we have relationship with God, I actually wanna go back to Jesus last night with his disciples before he's crucified. He's giving them final words for them to hold on to after he's gone. And knowing that he will be leaving them in body, here's what he says in John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying here that he is going to continue to be present in you even after he's gone. I'm gonna break this down in a minute, but before I do that, there's a verse just before this that's important to understanding how it is that Christ is going to be present to us. In John 14, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I have said these things to you that while I am still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all the things I have said to you. The Spirit, who is to be an advocate for us. The Spirit is how we remain in Christ. Through these passages, we begin to gain an understanding of the Trinity, of the triune God, which can be a very confusing part of the Christian story. How is it that God is three and one? 
There have been lots of metaphors used, some of which are helpful, others really aren't. So let's use an image that Jesus has in here, the vine image, to try to understand how God is three and where we fit into this picture that Jesus is painting. I came across a fantastic sketch online that helps give some visuals as to what that actually looks like. So I'm gonna talk that out with you. So if you can envision the father represented maybe by a hand, and Jesus says the father is the gardener. So here, God the father plants a seed in the soil and the seed is the kingdom of God. So it's planted in the soil and the rain comes out and the sun and the seed begins to grow into a vine. And God the Father helps to nurture it as it grows, setting up guide wires for the vine, pruning it back as needed. And it begins to bear fruit and is further cut back so that it may produce more fruit. So God the Father is the gardener. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. And the reason that he says true vine is because the vine is also the imagery used to identify Israel. In Psalm 80, David cries out to God saying, you have transplanted a vine from Egypt, Israel. You drove out the nations and planted it. Watch over this vine, David cries. Your vine is cut down, he further cries. And he asks God, he says, restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. So the nation of Israel, the people whom God intended to embody the kingdom of God, struggled. They struggled to live as people of love. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. And he says to his disciples, you are the branches. And it's off of the branches that fruit comes. But the branch can only bear fruit if it's connected to the vine. So what about the spirit? The spirit is the life animating force. In this analogy, the spirit is all around in the sun and the rain, and it's in the vine and branches as the energy is soaked up through the roots and becomes sap, bringing energy and life up the vine through into the branch. The spirit abides with you and will be in you, Jesus says. The very spirit of God will be sent to be with you once Jesus is gone. And that's exactly what happens. After Jesus died and is resurrected, he spends 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God before he's ascended into heaven. Strange, but that's what we're told it happens. And just before he's gone, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts 2, we read that suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. You will be the dwelling place of God to be the witness of what? Listen back to what Jesus says in John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, we just went through a whole lot of scripture right here. But here is the point. Love. We are to be witnesses of love. And we experience love in relationship with God. Change comes through a relationship with God marked by love. The fruit of the vine, the fruit of the Spirit, the outflowing of your life in Christ, in the power of the Spirit. Love. You are to be the dwelling place of God, to be a witness to love, to the love relationship that you have been invited into and that outflows from you into the world. This is the new creation. This is the change maker at work today. This is why Jesus says in John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Why does he say this? Because these things, this radical love that Jesus comes to embody will be lived out by the power of his spirit in more than just one place at one time, but can be spread throughout all places, throughout generations, through people. It sounds so easy in some ways, but why does it seem like we so easily miss it? Why is the church not primarily known to be a place of love? In his book, With, Sky Jathani speaks some prophetic words to the church today. The Christian faith is about life with God, but the problem is that we have substituted a relationship with God with lots of other forms of relating to God that lead to a place that is problematic. He sets forth four postures that we have towards God that we tend to have, all of which are an inadequate substitute of life with God. The first is this. He says that life with God is different than a life from God, where our relationship becomes more about what we get from God. Life with God is also different than a life over God, where a relationship to God might be one of apathy. I don't really need God. I have my own strategies for success. Thank you very much. Life over God. Similarly, life with God is different than a life for God, where our relationship to God is about what we can do for God, where we relate to God by accomplishing great things for God. And life with God is different than a life under God, where our relationship to God may be about doing things to appease God or to win God's favor. Life with God is different. It can't fit into a formula. It can't be controlled or curated. Life with God isn't about knowing the right things. We've mistaken knowledge about God for relationship with God. We've mistaken beliefs about God for relationship with God. We've mistaken works or service for God with relationship with God. Think back for a minute to the image of a vine. A vine is living. It grows. All different varieties of flowers and fruit and no one branch is the same. 
Have you ever reflected on the architecture of the branches of the trees or bushes near your house or on your way to work? It's interesting to me that God uses this ordinary image of a vine to describe the essence of who God is and how we are to live our life with God. A friend recently shared with me and a few others reflections about the power of garden imagery in contrast to other metaphors that we might use like a building. Here's what he said. He said, when we use construction language, for example, we're borrowing from a craft that requires force, inanimate objects, and a process that takes a lot of work up front, but then should hopefully exist with minimal maintenance for a long time. But if you've ever gardened before, you know the patience of planting a seed and seeing no movement for weeks, followed by the joy of seeing the tiniest green shoot appear. You know that it takes constant loving attention to foster that growth. And you need to make sure that the soil continues to be properly watered, the plant gets adequate sunlight, and on a regular basis, you have to go and pull out some of the weeds. Like gardening, life with God is more of an art than a science. But we've turned so much of the Christian faith into a formula, into rules. Change comes through a living, breathing, ebb and flow, ordinary and sometimes extraordinary relationship with God that's marked by love. One author puts it this way. She says, imagine joining a knitting group. Does anyone go to a knitting group and ask if the knitters believe in knitting or what they hold to be true about knitting? Do people ask for a knitting doctrinal statement? Indeed, if you start knitting by reading a book about knitting or a history of knitting or a theory of knitting, you will very likely never knit. It's no wonder that Jesus did not leave behind a how-to manual. Jesus gives himself a living, breathing model of a life of love and promises the Spirit of God to come after he's gone to fill us and we become the embodiment of the love of God. Life with God isn't about knowledge of God. It's primarily about relationship with God. I want to share a story of someone here at Grace, actually. It was captured just before the pandemic. Listen for how Michael moved from knowledge to relationship. I came to Grace Chapel and I had gone through a very difficult divorce and at the same time I had lost my business and I was struggling. I was struggling to find a place to work. A friend had connected me to Grace and I got hired in the facility department. The interesting thing is I got an opportunity to see all these people going to Alpha. I wondered what Alpha was about. And I kept hearing everybody was having a relationship with God. What is a relationship with God? I, I, I couldn't understand that. I had a lot of questions. I grew up in the Catholic Church. I, you know, was used to a formal process, a series of milestones that I had to go through to be considered a good Catholic boy. I was an altar boy. But I really didn't ever feel like I knew what church was about or what. Jesus was about. I had talked to one of our pastors and he had recommended that I take a look at Alpha. Alpha gave me the opportunity to ask those questions. 
One night I walk in and um, just look around and there's no assigned seating. I just found this table and sat down and soon enough we had a full table. And it was really interesting because as we all started to talk, we suddenly realized that everyone at the table was either divorced or was in the process of getting divorced. The alpha. The first thing you do is you, you walk in and they feed you. So then we get to watch a video and um, give us an opportunity to have a topic to talk about. But what was interesting is we probably spent a few weeks just talking about divorce and how the church perceives divorce and how we perceive divorce and you know how we all felt. And for me, that was a big piece of feeling more comfortable in the church because when you go through a divorce, you're worried about how people perceive you. One of the big things about Alpha that I, I, I think I really learned was that Jesus was with me, you know? Jesus was always with me. You know, I went through a very difficult divorce. I lost my business, I lost everything. And I thought I was struggling with that by myself. But I realized through Alpha that God was with me and God was gonna be with me every step of my life, no matter where my life took me. I know that I was gonna go through it with someone else. I had someone that I could experience life with. I had that relationship that I heard everyone talking about. Alpha's there for anyone that has a question about God. It does not matter where you're coming from. It just matters that you might have questions because what's really important is that interaction with others. And I'll tell you, the table leaders are fantastic. And that person helps to generate the conversation. And it helped me to have a better relationship with my family, with my kids. And you know, it's my experiences through Alpha and my experiences through other people and God working through other people that helped me, um, I believe, become a better father, better man. In Michael, we see the scriptures we have looked at today come to life. And I want to draw your attention to two practical themes from Michael's story. The first is that Michael shares in his story how important it was to have God with him during some of the most difficult circumstances of his life. In the same way, Jesus knew it was going to be difficult for his disciples without his physical presence. So he sends the Holy Spirit, the great comforter. The Spirit is how Christ is present to us here and now. The second reality we see pretty vividly in this story is a community that was marked by love. Michael spoke about the connections that he had with the table group at Alpha and how welcoming people were to the questions and circumstances. This community was marked by a sense of love that came in the form of, you belong here. There's a symbiotic relationship, I think, between abiding in Jesus and a community of belonging. As we abide in Jesus, finding belonging in Jesus, we're led in love to extend love in community. And we experience love in the context of community. 
As we do that, we abide more personally in Jesus, experiencing belonging with God. Remember the image of the vine that Jesus gives in John 14 and 15. It's a very deliberate image where each person is connected to and belonging to the vine and the branches produce fruit that is turned into wine that's meant to be enjoyed by others. It's an image of love outflowing from our relationship with God. I wonder when the last time that you felt an outflowing of love. I actually had that experience recently in a small group I'm a part of. We meet twice a month and it's been a really powerful experience for my family. We're the only ones with young kids, so we show up with our 10-month-old and our almost three-year-old and a salad and people there just love us. A couple weeks ago, I was able to really open up about some of the things that I was struggling with and where I was at in my life and faith wasn't filtered or curated or fulfilling some kind of role or duty. There was space where I felt free to just be me. And I realized from that experience how precious and at times rare a community like that is. In the ordinary, ordinary gathering over ordinary food, a little something extraordinary happened. And I felt the Spirit of God comfort me and be present to me in a way that I feel like I haven't experienced in a long time. We can experience relationship with God through communities marked by love. God's given us communities woven together by the Spirit of God to bring us encouragement and belonging, to bring growth and hope and change. I wonder if you have a community like that. Do you have a place where you can offer and receive love? The truth is, I think this pandemic has really disrooted many of us from community. And now we may have an opportunity to perhaps seek afresh a community that's seeking to abide in Jesus and is marked by love. Change, both personally and communally, comes through a relationship with God marked by love. So I wonder what your next step or invitation is in your relationship with God. Galatians 5.16, Paul says that we are to walk by the Spirit. He uses this everyday imagery of walking to illustrate what a life with God can be like. In some ways, it can feel so ordinary, but it's the everyday ordinariness of life that we can walk and step in the Spirit. And these can all of a sudden become extraordinary experiences of love. Walking, ordinary, small, patient, step-by-step, water the seed, and wait. For Michael, it was walking into Alpha for the first time. For me, it was sharing vulnerably in my small group. What is your step? In the same way that Jesus and the Father share relationship, one that's marked by love, we too are invited to share in that love. Maybe you're sensing an invitation to explore more of what a relationship with God might mean through an experience like Alpha. Or maybe there's an invitation for you to deepen your relationship with God by deepening your relationship with other people. Christian activity and programs aren't automatically places of love. As I heard one pastor share recently, activities, groups, and programs are ideally containers for growing relationship of love with God and with others, but it isn't automatic. 
Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, which is to love one another, we will abide in his love. Meaning where we love, there Christ is present. This is echoes in the same Galatians 5 passage where Paul says that we are called to serve each other humbly in love. He later goes on to say that our love will be marked by the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These character traits are expressions of love. God gives us the Holy Spirit and these fruits so that we can love people better. Is your life marked by love? Love and these other qualities mentioned are fruits of the Spirit. They are results of a life that abides in Christ as the Spirit abides in us, as we keep in step with the Spirit that is all around us and is within us. That is how we become people of love. I had the chance to talk recently about the topic of the Holy Spirit with a new friend of mine and someone I look up to very much. And I learned recently that she paints icons. And she told me that the halo of icons are made with gold leaf. You can likely picture it if you've seen an icon before. The halo or light around the person, mostly a saint, their head is iridescent, it glimmers. The halo represents the presence of the spirit who has made them the person that they are. The saints that icons acknowledge and celebrate are not meant to be gods. They're humans still with flaws. And yet the spirit of God dwells in them, flaws and all. So we too have the opportunity today, wherever you may be with this message, to receive God's spirit so that we may love others. So what is your next step with God? Is your life a life that is marked by love? As we close the message today and bring a close to this series that we're calling Changemaker, God's spirit really is the big reveal here. When we live a life with God marked by love with others, the new creation that Jesus inaugurated is present, sometimes in extraordinary ways and lots of times in ordinary ways. 2 Corinthians 3 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God is transforming, changing you and me through His Holy Spirit. A relationship with God is more ordinary than we assume, and I think it's more extraordinary than we allow, and it's marked by love. So what's your next step with God? Maybe it's joining a community like Alpha or another group. Maybe it's getting involved with something on your campus. I encourage you to lean into where God's Spirit might be leading you into ordinary steps and relationships. I once heard it said that the role of a pastor is to be a relational matchmaker because relationships are so important to us as human beings and they're integral to our relationship with God. If you're unsure where you fit in this community, I encourage you to reach out to anyone on staff about the community opportunities that might be available to you. We experience God's spirit in community. 
this is the mechanism for how God changes us. But change also comes as we risk relationship with God, sometimes beginning with quiet moments where we risk being honest. Our relationship with God's not all that dissimilar to relationships with other people. We connect when we're honest, when we share our life, and when we see that even and especially in our most honest moments, we are loved. As we close, I wanna leave you with a prayer. And it's a prayer that I encountered in a book recently that was just the words I needed to draw me into relationship with God. So may you hear these words as an invitation into relationship with God. Holy One, there is something I wanted to tell you, but there have been errands to run, bills to pay, arrangements to make, meetings to attend, friends to entertain, washing to do, and I forget what it is I wanted to say to you, and mostly I forget what I'm about or why. Oh God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Oh Father in heaven, perhaps you've already heard what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to ask is, forgive me, heal me, increase my courage, please. Renew in me a little of love and faith and a sense of confidence and a vision of what it might mean to live as though you were real and I mattered and everyone was sister and brother. What I wanted to ask in my blundering way is don't give up on me and become too sad about me, but laugh with me and try again with me and I will with you too.